Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We do appreciate you tuning in again this week as we do a Bible lesson every week here on the Searching the Scriptures radio program. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop. This is a ministry of Bluegrass Pike Baptist Church, and we're thankful that you're listening in. And as always, we encourage our listening audience to get your Bible open and follow along with us in the Word of God that you might see these truths for yourself. Let's go this week to Acts, the book of Acts, the 11th chapter. Acts chapter 11, we're going to pick it up in verse 19. I want to talk about a fellow who I would refer to as the eyes of the Jerusalem church. In other words, uh, this man is going to be sent down to eyeball the work that God begins to do, the great revival that breaks out in the city of Antioch. This is a very rich passage of Scripture here, and it shows us the first full-blown Gentile city where the gospel took root in the hearts of many, many people, and a church was established. In fact, it becomes the headquarters, if you will, the center of attention from this chapter outward for the uh, narrative and for the lens of the Holy Spirit. Do not never forget, do never, do not ever forget, excuse me, that the book of Acts is a transition book and it's the Holy Ghost taking you through the early history of the church as it began to be established, as the gospel began to go out and as the apostles saw the far reaching consequences and work of God through the preaching of the gospel. It began in Jerusalem. It went out to Samaria and here it begins to go out into the uttermost parts of the earth. And so here we have in Acts chapter 11, a great narrative, a great synopsis of the revival that God sent by the Holy Ghost through the preaching of the gospel to the city of Antioch. So let's pick it up in verse 19, Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Let's read together. The Bible says this, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. So that's a great little nugget right there to show you the transitional nature of the book of Acts. Now, when I say that, what I mean is this. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, when he began to preach the kingdom of heaven was at hand to the nation of Israel, that message was not sent to the Gentile people. Uh, you can read about that in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5, 6, and 7. When Jesus Christ sent out his original disciples there during his, the beginning of his earthly ministry, he did not send them to the Samaritans nor to the Gentiles, but rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Even after his resurrection, the apostle Peter, uh, the uh, apostle that seems to get the most attention here in the first half of the book of Acts, the apostle Peter who had the keys, if you will, to open doors, some authority as we've seen in a previous lesson, he asked the question before our Lord Jesus went back to heaven. He said, will thou at this time restore the kingdom unto Israel? In other words, that thought was on their mind. They felt as though their nation must first be converted before they would carry any message to the Gentile nations. And in fact, according to Old Testament prophecy, the nation of Israel would be the light that was set up on a hill and the Gentiles would come to that light and come to know the God of the Hebrews through a converted nation. Now that will still happen one day, but that's still future, and that's another study. But right here, what is a little bit perplexing to some of the early Jewish believers is the fact that their nation has not been converted to Christ yet. And they are a little shocked, a little surprised, as we, as you would know if you've read Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 in its entirety, 
They were a little shocked. They contended with Peter after he preached to Cornelius and his household. They were not, at first, they were not rejoicing, as we've seen in a previous lesson, but rather contended with Peter, wanted to know why he had gone into men uncircumcised. So the idea of the gospel going to anyone but the Jews and those closely connected, even the Samaritans, was kind of unheard of until God begins to break down their prejudices and show them that the gospel was to be preached to all the world. And so here in Acts chapter 10 and 11, we have seen the opening of the door of faith to the Gentiles. And right here, God, without authority from the church in Jerusalem, God does a work here in Antioch, a full-blown pagan Gentile city. And so up to this time, they had been preaching to the word, but none, unto none, but unto the Jews only. That's Acts eleven nineteen. That's very instructive. Now look at verse 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, these people who were preaching. And it says, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And whether we're witnessing for the Lord or whether we're preaching a sermon for the Lord, when we preach and serve him, we must have the hand of the Lord upon us. We have to be walking with him to have his blessing upon our efforts. And right here it says, The hand of the Lord was with them. And watch what the results are in verse 21. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. This is in the city of Antioch. There are no Jewish synagogues here. They did not go into a Jewish synagogue. They are simply preaching to Gentile people in the city of Antioch. The hand of the Lord is with them in their preaching of the Lord Jesus And the result is a great number believed. And that's what it takes to become a Christian. You must, quote, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. You must receive him. And this verse is a great verse because it says it defines believing upon him as turning unto him. Amen. That's what repentance and faith is. You turn to the Lord. You believe upon the Lord. You put your faith in the Lord to save you. That's what they did. A great number believed and, quote, turned unto the Lord. And my friend, when you got saved, that's what you did. You turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. You turned to him for forgiveness. You turned to him for salvation. You turned to him as Lord, and you've begun following him. You began following him when you got saved. A great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Now look at verse 22. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church. In other words, they heard about this great move of God. They heard about these Gentiles in this pagan city of Antioch turning to the Lord and believing upon his name. When word came to them and the church heard about this, it says, when this came under the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. In other words, when they heard this news, they said, okay, we've heard about Peter preaching to Cornelius and they got saved. And the same thing that happened to us and our nation back in Acts chapter two at Pentecost has begun happening to these Gentiles. But I'll tell you what, I've heard about it. Let's go down and see about it. So they send a trusted man, Barnabas, who we've seen on several occasions throughout the narrative here of the book of Acts. They send him down to Antioch. They want to see if these things that they've heard were so. And can I tell you something? When God does a work, whether it's in an individual's life or whether it's in a church's life, if you've heard about that work, you should be able to inspect it and it will hold up a true work of God. 
whether it be the conversion of an individual sinner or uh, the mass conversion of many through a, a great revival like what is going on here in our text, whether wherever God does a work, you can inspect it and it will hold up to scrutiny. This idea of people being saved and then you never uh, seeing any difference in their life is just not a scriptural idea. Now, right here, they send some eyeballs down to Antioch, namely uh, the uh, brother Barnabas. They heard about it. The ears of the church heard about it. So they send some eyes down to Antioch, namely Barnabas, to go down to Antioch and inspect the work to see what's really going on. Here's what he finds. When Barnabas comes to Antioch, verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. And the Bible says of Barnabas, he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Now let me just say a couple of things right here. I want to call your attention on what happened when Barnabas made it to Antioch. I want you to notice, first of all, Barnabas's observation. It says when he came, verse 23, and had seen the grace of God. Let me say something. When God does a work, as we just stated, he deals with men in grace. Thank God for grace. We're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. Uh, we have to have the grace of God to live the Christian life. He is the God of all grace. The grace of God will become visible. It's something that can be seen in the lives of men and women and boys and girls. And we see here Barnabas, his observation when he came, he saw the grace of God. What does that mean? Well, can grace be seen? Can it be viewed by others? Obviously it can. It can be manifested in the lives of others. Now, you know, one of the things that Barnabas undoubtedly saw when he got there, he met some Gentile believers who were rejoicing in the salvation that Jesus Christ had brought to their hearts. Do you know what? That's something that happened everywhere. People were converted throughout the book of Acts. You see rejoicing. Well, back in Acts chapter 2, when about 3,000 Jews came to know Jesus Christ as their Messiah, listen, the Bible says that they were glad. They were praising God. That was one of the, the results of this massive move of God. When the Bible was preached and the gospel was introduced to the people in the city of Samaria, the Bible tells us there in Acts chapter 8, verse 8, that there was, quote, great joy in that city. Later in Acts chapter 8, when an individual, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, was uh, had the gospel preached to him, when uh, Philip brought him the gospel message and he received it, the Bible says after he followed the Lord in baptism, according to Acts chapter 8, verses 39 and 40, he went on his way rejoicing. Can I tell you something that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men? And when a man embraces the gospel and is saved by grace through faith, can I tell you one of the first reactions, one of the first things that will happen was there will be joy shed abroad in his heart. He will rejoice in the Savior. He will rejoice in his newfound uh, salvation and in the glorious reality of it. Have you ever known, my friend, the reality, the breathless wonder of sins forgiven? I am a little nervous about a salvation that will not move a man's heart uh, as soon as he finds Christ Jesus as his Lord. I remember years ago where a person uh, professed to have led someone to Jesus Christ and they led him through a prayer. But listen, they were a little quick to pull the trigger on that prayer 
because this uh, young man really had no understanding of his guilt or his sin. He really didn't understand what Jesus Christ had done for him. And therefore, as he later confessed to me, he just went along with the program and prayed with this over uh, zealous soul winner, if you will. He simply prayed in order to get them off his back because when they brought this um, supposedly new convert to me, uh, he looked at me with like a deer caught in the headlight. He had nothing exciting to say. And the person said, tell the preacher, tell the preacher what you just did. And he looked at me and he said this with this tone. He said, uh, got saved. He said it with a question mark. There was no joy. There was no understanding. There was no relief in this man's heart. You say, what happened? Nothing had happened other than a misinformed, misguided soul had pressured some young man into praying a prayer before he understood his sin and certainly before he understood what Jesus Christ was offering him. Can I encourage you, my independent Baptist friends, to stop that kind of soul winning? It's not producing anything but a bunch of uh, phony converts who flee from the church the first chance they get because they feel like they've been tricked into and pressed into doing something that they did not understand. They're embarrassed. They don't understand. And I'm telling you something, when it's time for when, when their heart is ripe for the picking, you will not have to push, pull, prime, and manipulate people to pray prayers with you. I'm telling you, when a person is ready, they will embrace Jesus Christ with a hunger. They will come to Christ without being pressed and pressured. Now, I'm not against challenging someone to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not against explaining their danger and challenging them with the gospel. But my friend, when their heart is opened and they see their need, you're not going to have to press them to pray. They'll call upon the Lord. They'll come to Jesus Christ because they'll see their great need and they'll flee from the wrath to come. That's the Bible terminology. And they'll lay hold of the cross of Calvary. And when they do and they know that their sins have been forgiven and they have been justified by faith, my friend, you'll see the grace of God begin to work in their life. It's something that can be seen. Barnabas's observation was these people had been saved by the grace of God. What did he see? Well, undoubtedly, he saw rejoicing because that is one of the first fruits that will show up uh, in a person's life that has been saved. They will be glad they're saved. They will be relieved in their heart that their sins have been forgiven. And not only will they have relief in their heart, but they'll begin to show the grace of God because not only do they love God now, because he first loved them, but they will begin to love the brethren. And later on in this chapter, we see that certainly the love of other Christians began to manifest itself in their life. How do we know? Because they later in this chapter will send a very nice love offering up to the poor saints in Jerusalem who were going to be facing a famine. And you know what that is? That is love in action. Love will always prove itself by giving. And these saints here, these Gentile converts to the gospel of Jesus Christ, who are first called Christians here in Antioch, take up an offering for the saints up in Jerusalem. Amen and amen. You say, what is that? That's proof that they had love to the brethren. And can I remind you that Jesus Christ, our Lord, tells us that one of the marks of his true disciples, 
according to John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, is that they will have love one to another. Jesus said, by this shall all men know, uh, he says, that ye are my disciples. How? In that ye have love one toward another. You see, according to Titus chapter 3, in verse 3, it says before we got saved, it describes us as being, quote, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, after we've been converted and passed from death unto life by believing upon Jesus Christ, God changes our hating one another into a, quote, loving one another. According to 1 John chapter 3, we know we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love the brethren. So what am I saying? I'm saying that when Barnabas showed up in Antioch, his observation was that the grace of God had visited that place in power, and these people had been saved by the good grace of God and had believed upon and truly turned unto the Lord Jesus. How do we know? Because he could see the grace of God active in their life. Amen and amen. There ought to be some fruit, some evidence if you've been saved. Now, I didn't say these people were perfect or these people were sinless. That's not what we're preaching. Uh, we're not even uh, Barnabas didn't even go down to see if they had a list of commandments and laws they were starting to follow. No, he just went down there and he observed these people. And Barnabas's observation is very clear. The grace of God was evident. You could see it in the lives of these converts. And then secondly, I want you to notice when Barnabas got there and saw this and observed these things, we also see not only Barnabas's observation, but his jubilation. Because when he saw the grace of God at work in this pagan town called Antioch, full of Gentile people, he was, quote, glad. Now, you know something? That's a great lesson for us. This is a good man filled with the Holy Ghost and faith. And, you know, it would have been easy. We say, well, preacher, that's pretty obvious. If you see the grace of God at work, you ought to be glad. Well, can I tell you, sometimes it's not that way with carnal Christians. Sometimes uh, people get jealous they get envious of God working somewhere besides in their church. Now, remember, they were having to overcome, the church in Jerusalem were having to overcome some of their old prejudices against the Gentile people. And so when Barnabas goes down to Antioch, a full-blown Gentile city, it would have been easy for a Jewish convert to possibly get maybe a little envious. Because remember, it looks as though God is moving outwardly, and he is. We're not hearing about the great move of God in Jerusalem anymore, but rather we're seeing a move of God in places that they were unex uh, not expecting God to move. It was unexpected to them to have a move of God in Antioch, and yet that's exactly what happened. And can I tell you something? We ought to be glad whenever God decides to bless. We ought to be glad wherever God decides to bless, and we ought to be jubilant and excited whoever God decides to bless. Help us, God, to and deliver us from this attitude of it's my crowd and no one else, us four and no more. Uh, can I tell you, God will use people that we don't even like. That's a good lesson. I had to learn it, but I have learned it. And uh, let me tell you, you cannot put God in your denominational box. Now, that doesn't mean that I go for everything that churches do, nor do I think that God is in everything that people claim that he's in. But I can tell you this, that God blesses. I'm thankful to be a Baptist, and I love it when God blesses in our church or blesses a fellow sister church. 
But I can tell you this, that God has moved in more than just the Baptist church. And I'm glad wherever a true work of God can be seen going on. Amen and amen. Let us never get jealous or envious. Can I tell you that it's God that does the work? It's God that's moving and it's for his glory. Barnabas's jubilation is a great lesson to all of us. We ought to rejoice wherever and whenever and whoever God chooses to bless. Amen. And not be, uh, listen, if you're jealous, if you're envious of God blessing another person that's not quite like you, or maybe another church that's not quite like yours, or maybe you even think this church has some problems. Let me tell you something. You're getting that from your flesh, not from the spirit of God. Do you remember many years ago, uh, a skater by the name of Nancy Kerrigan? Do you also recall another skater that was her rival, her competitor, uh, by the name of Tanya Harding? Do you, do you recall what took place between those two ladies? How Tanya Harding, uh, had some people, thugs hired to come by and bust old Nancy across the shins there and across her ankles and, and dis, uh, disable her so she couldn't compete against Miss Tanya? Can I tell you something? Uh, I know some, uh, I know some Christians who have that kind of an attitude. They're, they're intimidated. They're nervous about God using another preacher or another church. My friend, we're all in this thing together and we need to know, amen, who's in the family of God and we need to rejoice with them that rejoice. And listen, Barnabas has the right spirit. He comes to a town full of Gentiles. He sees the work of God going on like once was going on up in Jerusalem. And he was glad. And that is a great lesson for all of us to learn. Amen. Don't ever get envious or jealous and get nasty or, or uh, sideways when others are being blessed. Thank God that he's moving somewhere and thank God whoever he chooses to bless. Old Barnabas here is glad. So we see his jubilation. But lastly, I want you to see one more thing about Barnabas. It says in verse 23 that he, quote, exhorted them all, these new converts here in Antioch. He exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. So not only do we see Barnabas's jubilation and his observation, now we see his exhortation. What did he exhort them to do? What is it to exhort? Well, to exhort is to challenge, to encourage someone on to a proper and a good thing. And he exhorted them how? He said that with purpose of heart. Did you get that? Purpose of heart. In other words, determine in your heart and mind to do what? To cleave unto the Lord. Can I tell you something? One of the, one of the things that people struggle to come to understand is that the Christian life is not a life of rule books, regulations, and standards. Now, when I say that, let me qualify that statement. I have even been accused uh, because of the crowd that I run with. We're accused sometimes of being legalists because we have standards and boundaries that we set. Can I tell you something? There's nothing wrong with standards and rules and regulations and boundaries. In fact, how come it is that churches are called legalistic but the place you work, I'll guarantee you they have certain standards. Why, there are certain dress codes uh, that are enforced in uh, institutions all around our state. In prisons, they have dress standards. You can't just go in there dressed any way you want to. Uh, you can't make visits 
at a prison dressed in flip-flops and short shorts and tank tops. No, there's a dress code there, and nobody seems to argue and get upset about that. So why would you be upset? Because there are some standards that are put in place in churches. Listen, standards and boundaries and all of that are appropriate in the sense that it keeps things safe and heading in the right direction. Now, let me give you an example. If you were staying in a hotel, maybe a high-rise hotel or an apartment, and you were on the 30th floor and you had a balcony above a busy downtown street, I bet you wouldn't feel too safe to open that sliding door and step out on a balcony that did not have railing going around it. Do you know what railing does? It gives you a sense of security and something to lean on, and it gives you some boundaries to keep you safe, to keep you from falling. Can I tell you something? Wise pastors and good churches will have some standards and regulations and rules in place in their church to keep you safe, to keep you within bounds, because not everybody that comes into the church understands uh, what direction that church is going to. So listen, you'll feel much safer and you'll be kept from falling if there's some boundaries put in place. So I'm not against standards. I'm not against boundaries and I'm not against commandments. But listen, your Christian life is to be rooted not in, in a set of someone's standards, no matter how good they may be, but rather your Christian life is to be lived based off the true compass of the Christian life And the true compass of the Christian life is not a set of rules and regulations and standards, but rather the true Christian life and the compass of that Christian life is based off of a person, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's salvation. But then once you've come to him and found rest under his the shadow of his wings, then listen, he next, his next command to you is, he says, take my yoke upon you. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is a uh, harness, if you will, that yokes two animals side by side. If you put two oxen in the yoke together, it's to get them in step one with another. And if you looked at that yoke, the primitive yoke, if you looked at it from above those two oxen, do you know what you would see? You would see a harness that was in the shape of a cross. You know what Jesus says to those that have been saved? He says, take up your cross and follow me. Get with me. Follow me. Get alongside of me. In other words, Barnabas is telling them, he's exhorting them, these new believers, to cleave close, to get close to Jesus Christ. He's exhorting them to draw up beside him, get in step with the Lord. And my friend, here's the key to success and victory in the Christian life. It is not found in a set of rules that you're going to find grievous. No, it is found in a person. And Jesus Christ is not only our justification, but my friend, he is also our sanctification. And real victorious Christian living comes from the simple truth of getting close to Jesus Christ and staying there. Because, listen, you don't have to have a set of rules to tell you what to do. All you got to do is look to your Lord who you're walking with and say, Is this all right? Is this fashion that I'm wanting to uh, display? Is this these clothing? Is this, these articles of clothing? Is this a, approved? Is this acceptable to you, Lord? Is this music that I want to listen to? Is this acceptable to you? And listen, he'll let you know. All you got to do, somebody says, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a drink. Okay, then get down on your knees and ask your Lord and Savior that bought you with his precious blood. Say, Lord, can I do this to the glory of God? 
Can I do this to honor you and to show a good example to the lost world that I might shine as a light in a dark and perverse nation? Can I do this, Lord? He'll let you know. But you know how he'll let you know if you stay close to him. You get far away from him, and it's going to be hard to hear his voice. Do you know what Peter's problem was the night of the crucifixion? The Bible says in Luke 22 that he, quote, followed afar off. You cannot stay right with God and follow him afar off. Barnabas's exhortation is some of the best uh, uh, exhorting and preaching and truth that you can give to new converts or any convert for that matter. What was it? With purpose of heart, determine in your heart to cleave unto the Lord. And you will find that Christianity is much easier lived. There's more joy, there's more peace, there's safety, and there's victory in staying close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Cleave unto him from your heart. Get up next to him and then walk with him through this life. The Bible says, if we walk in the spirit, we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do we walk in the spirit? By cleaving close, getting close to the Lord Jesus Christ. And just remember his yoke, he said, was easy. Boy, that's some good stuff right there. Thank you, Barnabas, for the exhortation. And I hope that this has been a help to you. Till next week, may the Lord bless you as you seek his face.